everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Compliant with Alliant COVID edition. Diana and I are here yet again. Hi, everyone. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some benefit plan implications with return to work. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about leaves. Are we going to brave the, the COBRA stuff too? I think we should. Why not? Why not? I mean, we're going to live, you know, live our best lives here. <laughs> Just, you know. Not let not let the COVID win. Okay, so let's um, jump right into the return to work and benefit plan issues. And I think we want to talk about some level setting and the the framework that that we're working in. And a, a good reminder of when you when you come to these circumstances, you have to come armed with some basic knowledge about the ACA and how you measure employees and breaks in service and when you can treat an employee as a new, fresh employee and when you have to treat them as an ongoing employee. Well, yeah, and I think the important thing to remember is that these are largely the same rules. We just have a different volume right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we were just talking about this and and I told some of our internal folks this, There's nothing different here. We've had these scenarios on a one-off basis, and to Diana's point, we just have a scale issue now. And and so we might as well just address these on that scale. Uh, I'm going to go with it definitely feels different, but (laughs) same rules. Same rules. So um, let's talk about the ACA. So for applicable large employers, those with over 50 or uh, more full-time equivalents, yada, 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 I think we all know those rules, and, and most of you fall into that particular bucket. Um, you're required, uh, you know, full-time employee is those with uh, 30 or more hours a week, you know, on average, either determined by a monthly method or a look-back method, and you generally have to offer coverage or potentially pay a penalty in that situation. Minimum central coverage. I don't want to fall down this rabbit hole because we could go on for days. Do you want me to stop you from the rabbit hole? Please do. Okay, so the ACA actually has um, has a lot of complicated rules, but it has one very simple rule, and it is the break-in-service mm-hmm. rule, and that rule applies whether you're a monthly method client or a look-back method client, and that is you cannot treat a returning employee as a new hire, subject to a new waiting period, unless they have had a break in service where there are no, quote unquote, hours worked for 13 weeks. Ooh. And or for educational employees, 26 weeks. Um, I'm not going to go through that weird rule of parity, or should I? Oh, don't. But just know <laughs> that if there is a rule of parity, well, upon hire and yeah, anyway. So the, the rule of parity, I'll do it really oh, quickly. It's so it, generally when we talk about a break in service, it's 13 weeks. But there's a different rule of parity that says you can treat an employee as a new hire if they've had a break in service that is at least four weeks and is longer than the prior period of employment. But for now, let's just put a pin in that and go 13 weeks. Oh, I have another pin. Uh-oh. Um, somebody on short-term disability. I'm going to put a pin in that on hours worked. Oh, that is, that's a bombshell on hours worked. Yeah, that's like a nail, not a pin. Anyway, okay. Oh, let's but, just assume they're on furlough, unpaid leave, not not on any disability benefits. They've, you've released them off into the ether, but now it's time for them to come back to work. It's time for them to come back to work. So what do we do now? All right, so the first thing I wanted to talk about, I, I think... You're going to have sort of forks in the road here based on what you did. If you had furloughed employees or terminated employees where they lost eligibility for your benefit plan 
and you offered them COBRA, we can sort of look at, well, they either elected or declined, they either paid or they didn't, but we're gonna roll down this road of when we bring them back on, we're going to generally let them rejoin our benefit plan. And the question then turns to, do we, do we reinstate their prior elections? Do we let them make a new election? And there is a cafeteria plan rule, and you wanna check your plan documents, but that basically says, when someone's been gone for less than 30 days, we generally are going to reinstate their prior election. If they have been gone for more than 30 days, they can make a whole full suite of new elections. And again, with that break in service rule, um, we have to just remember that if there has not been a break in service, we want those elections to be in force no later than the first day of the month following return. So then if I'm hearing you correctly, um, outside of 30 days, but fewer than 13 weeks, which is probably the lion's share of folks who are able to get their people back to work, you got to get them back on the plan, but they can make new elections. Yeah, yeah, generally. And I think that less than 30-day rule, employers take some flexibility there. Mm -hmm. But I think you want to just be mindful when you're taking those liberties. Uh, You you know, you just may want to connect with a carrier with stop loss and just say, we we are allowing new elections here. We want to make sure everybody's cool with that. And I think that that 13-week window, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a long window. That would be what? So, you know. I think it did about July, right? Yeah. This started in the middle of March that puts us kind of into July. So for those of you who are looking at bringing folks back either because you got the Paycheck Protection Program or Employer Retention Credit or all that and you're fortunate enough to access some of those benefits and are bringing your folks back, um, you're not you're going to be within that 13-week window. Well, and you know what the other interesting thing that's come up is well, what if somebody comes back into a new role or a new position mm-hmm. and it's, you know, maybe somebody was working full-time before, they're coming back as part-time, and that's where, again, we just need to understand that monthly method versus look-back method distinction. Let's talk through that. So that's a good question, and, and I'm going to you know, set aside something else I was thinking about. But so if you come back, you know, and, and, and that's a very feasible situation where you bring a, a previously full-time employee back to part-time, and it, you know, the answer on how you treat them really depends on whether you measure them monthly or uh, using the look-back method. If you use a look-back method and this individual is in a stability period as a full-time employee, then they return with that status, assuming the no 13-week break. And you know, they're a full-time employee and potentially cause you penalties if you don't offer them coverage. Yeah, and again, it's about that penalty risk. But just remember, if you are a look-back method client and you bring back somebody who is ACA full-time in a stability stability period, period, they step back into that stability period status. There is one narrow exception there that I don't want to really drill down too much on, but I think with monthly method clients, you you can bring somebody back and their status resets. It's actually determined as of the last day of every month. Mm -hmm. You either hit 130 or you don't hit 130. Right. So if you know you're bringing, you are a monthly monthly method client, you use that measurement method and you bring back somebody you know is only going to work part-time and is otherwise not eligible for benefits, then you don't have to offer them benefits. And that may all be part of your employee communication. I think this brings up a good point. If you want to offer them benefits, uh, then you would want to take a look at your eligibility provisions and adjust those. Um, I know people are doing lots of different things in this environment. So anytime 
you're going to make some operational changes, you need to shore those up with your plan documents. Oh, and with any partners like a carrier or stop-loss provider. Absolutely, because those partners are going off the plan documents that are in existence, and if you haven't updated those, then that's the default. Um, Let's talk about um, individuals who, because you talked about different buckets of, so folks that you furloughed but you let remain on your plan, but may... Maybe they weren't able to pay, and you've termed them for a non-payment of premium. Yeah, I feel like everything in our world now is just, it, it just becomes a flowchart. So when we look at those furloughed employees who did not lose benefits eligibility, you're going to have um, a bucket where they continued to pay and everything was fine. Hopefully they were paying post-tax as you go. They're just going to keep going. It's just going to roll along, uh, but they're going to move back into a pre-tax payment posture. But if they fail to pay and they lost coverage, you need to just know your offer still holds, right? They never lost eligibility. You made an offer. Um, I always like to look at this and how are you going to code that? Oh, for sure. And you're on your 1095C because I'm just so exciting that way. Like, oh, how are you going to code that? And so, and that's a good way to think about it, right? How's it going to play out? You made that offer that year, 1H. That's a no offer. 1E. <laughs> 1E. This is off the cuff. So 1E. And then that you get to code that 1E the whole way through. Yeah. Now, whether you offer, I think Diana's going to get to, right, whether whether you just bring them back and don't make give them another offer is another issue altogether. Right? Yeah. So that, that takes us to um, you had somebody, they went on furlough, they stayed eligible, but maybe they failed to pay. Maybe they couldn't pay. And so we terminate coverage for non-payment at that Which point. It's not a COBRA qualifying event. It is not a COBRA qualifying event. You are not required to make a new offer because your offer holds. But a lot of employers in that situation are going to want to give that employee mm-hmm. an, an opportunity to rejoin the plan. Um, and then we would again look at... Um, If they've been gone for more than 30 days, we would generally let them make a new election. Less than 30 days, you want to consider whether you are going to require them to reinstate their prior election. We want to get some buy-in from our our carriers. Um, Yeah, stop loss too. Just let them know. Just give them a heads up that we are allowing this. And again, we want that benefit coverage back, um, back reinstated active no later than the first month following return unless there's a 13-week break in service. That's right. So I think the takeaways here are so your ACA full-time status rules. How do you measure? And that, and has there been a 13-week break? And if you can kind of pivot around those, you'll you'll get your answers. We may or may not have a flowchart. I, I think I got another flowchart <laughs> yeah, in me. Yeah, I think. And so we should have that up and ready here in fairly short order. So I think... I think we can move away from benefit plan stuff, and I wanted to hit some leaves issues, and we covered this in really great detail in some earlier podcasts, not in the context of return to work, but I think it bears repeating here. Are there new leave requirements now that may apply as we return to work? And of course, we know that there are, but it's for those employers who are fewer than 500, and it's those um, emergency paid sick leave and expanded FEMLA through the end of this year with associated tax credits. There is another podcast that goes into detail about this. We have a lot written up about it, but remember those are there for those of you covered. And there are some administration issues with existing FMLA, which dovetails into note that individuals could be who are otherwise eligible. So they worked for you for 12 months, 1250 hours, 
um, can they be eligible to take standard FMLA for certain COVID-related reasons? And they may be able to if they're uh, if they get COVID and it raises to the level of a serious health condition, or if they're caring for a family member under those circumstances. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is our same standard FMLA analysis. And just to point out, when we talk about that eligible employee criteria, we say worked for you at least twelve months and twelve hundred and fifty hours. Those twelve months don't have to be consecutive, consecutive right? right? And 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 may not be in this particular situation. So that if you furloughed folks and there's a gap, you know, understand that that doesn't necessarily get you out of that. You don't restart your clock on that. And then also there are numerous state and local leave mandates that is like the sort of, you know, I don't barrel of snakes over there. (laughs) Um, But we do track that. We have a chart on that with a lot of guidance and information and just know that it's, it's out there. So with that, We will go ahead and wrap up for today. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back with you on another COVID-related podcast soon. Stay well.